Welcome to More Than Movies. I'm Ivana. I'm Jay. Today we ask, what would Diplo do? And play our quiz game. Plus, we get scared watching Aronofsky's Mother trailer and talk about the letter F. It's time for Categorized. We're back with another Categorized segment. I am loving this. We are already over to the letter F. Okay. All right. So we're like five in? We're, yeah. Is that right? I know my alphabet. A, B, C, D. Six. We're on six. Yep. That's uh, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are kind of five in, as in we've completed five. You're, We're about to do you six. You are a gem to make me feel better. <laughs> and can I just say, it is awesome to see you in person. Yeah, we are recording again in person because I'm in Toronto right now. So For some reason, hey. she's here. <laughs> and she like IRL'd me. I did. I was like, you want to record IRL? And Jay didn't know what that was. And I'm like, sure. <laughs> yeah, he did say And then say today yes. she's like, so I'm coming over and I'm like, what do you mean? You are you live in Pittsburgh. Yeah. I'm like, no, I, I told you I, we're going to do an IRL. And he was like. What is that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was like realsies time or so. I don't know what it was. It was awful. Anyway, we are here to discuss films starting with the letter F because we are family and friends and this will be fun. So <laughs> don't look at this. That was amazing. <laughs> That was just brilliant. That was, I loved it. <laughs> so I'm going to start us off because I want to talk about a fish called Wanda. I have never seen that movie. I want to see it so bad. So it's really good, huh? Okay. So Kevin Klein won an Oscar for it. Like any comedy that wins an Oscar, you know, it's, it's in there of the comedies you have to see. And it's half the Monty Python crew. And then you got Kevin Klein and Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis is so hot in this movie. Like, I know guys love her from Trading Places. I love her from Fish Called Wanda. And her and John Cleese, they're hilarious together. It's basically a comedy of errors. It's all about a bank heist that goes wrong. And Kevin Klein may be the funniest man in the world. And he fills your other F, your folliculophilia, He's got he's, he's got a mustache. He's got a mustache. I actually now that you say this, I saw this movie as a child cuz you're reminding me of things. I remember liking it, but I'm like way too young to have an opinion. Totally. Like, I saw it too long ago. I remember it too vaguely. So I love a fish called Wanda. It's got to be in the F topic. What's one th- I love throw it. one out. All right. Uh Full Metal Jacket. Yep. It's nowhere near my list. <laughs> yeah. So Full Metal Jacket is the only war film that I like. I know. I haven't liked another one. Um, I I'm I recently I've been being forced to watch them more often. Oh, who's forcing you? Uh, it's like it feels like the world. Why? I I don't know. People seem to think, and I think it's because Dunkirk's out and oh, stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. I, but like, I honestly believe that this Dunkirk coming out of me saying how much I hate war films. People are just. Making sure that But you got to watch this to make sure you you can't hate them all. Here's another one. Right. So why Full Metal Jacket then? Well, I think it's because Full Metal Jacket is different than all of those movies. It's unlike any other war movie I've ever seen. It has a very anti-war stance, which is something I really truly believe in. I know that it is naive and privileged of me to be able to be like, I hate war, but Full Metal Jacket really speaks to my own 
opinions of war and just the futility of these poor people who put their lives on the line and the guilt I feel. And and so, yeah, I, it has to be on the list. So I've seen Full Metal Jacket a total of one time in my life. I thought that was enough. I've only seen it I, once, too. I liked maybe it. Maybe twice. I liked it. Like a lot of Vietnam movies, it's a hard movie to get through. I find that, like, the first half is really easy to get through. But the second half is hard because they're over there and they're going through things. And you're meeting you're meeting the kind of characters you'd never want to meet in a bar. Like, yeah. But at the same time, you're right. There is a very anti-war sentiment to this film. Yeah, It shows you, like, this reality... And it has a very political stance that I believe in, and most war films don't have that. So it's hard for me to so watch I, them. So I think it's good, but it just didn't make my Fs. But I'll tell you what did. What did? The Fly. Hey, that didn't make my Fs. It did not? It did not. The Goldblum? I know. I love him, but I just didn't. There are better this, this F was, movies. But this was the movie that you saw him and said, "Oh my god." No, it was even before that movie. It was not. It was. I just that movie, I was like, "Oh my god, he is actually hot. I'm I'm not just attracted to him because he's weird." So that's the first time you had like collective opinion of like, "No, no, no, he's hot." Right up until that point, I thought I was really into this guy with a giant nose and giant ears and giant features on his face that everyone thought looked goofy. And then I was like, oh, no, he was hot. I can feel validated in this crush. So I put the fly on the list because it is some of the best practical special effects I've ever seen in my life. True. It is, it's a sad monster movie. It is. It really is. There's a lot of emotional elements to this film um, that I, when I saw it when I was younger, didn't really give it credit for until I saw it when I was older. And when I saw it when I was older, I i mean, I really love this movie. And I've gone back to it a number of times. Goldberg, Gina Davis. They're brilliant. They're brilliant in this movie. Yeah. And, and it doesn't feel like a classic monster movie. Like, it, ha- it tells a different story. It is. You're right. It's a really good movie. It is on my short list. It, it just didn't make it to the five. It's also one of the only Cronenberg films that I really like. I think like A History of Violence, I probably like a little more, mm-hmm. but I don't really get into the Cronenberg a lot. Uh, you know, I'm a Torontonian. He's a Torontonian. I'm supposed to love everything that Cronenberg does. But, uh, you know, so grabbing onto the fly and putting it in my like my my favorites. We got to talk about it. F movies. I, I'm glad I threw it in there. I love that. Another one on my list. You're going to find this crazy. Fido. Another Canadian movie. Yeah, Fido did not even make my honorable mentions. I would I would go so far to say Full Metal Jacket might make it into my honorable mentions, but not, not Fido. Fido. I, I didn't love it the way that you and some other friends of ours did. I don't know what it is. That it was something about this movie that I love so much, and I can't put my finger on it. I tried to think about it as I, I put the list together. I also hate the 1950s the way that I hate war. Um... <laughs> I used to be one of these idiots who was like, oh, the 50s were great. Yeah, if you were like a white, privileged, basically me when I was a teenager. Like if if, if, if you were me when I were a teenager, the 50s were awesome. Yeah, and and you lived in the suburbs and everything was safe and, and you could do whatever. And safe and you had your guns and locked up. But and- like the reality is the 50s was a time of a lot of people feeling very unhappy uh, it was the beginning of the end of our food system, which, as you know, I'm very politically charged up about. Totally. The uh, civil rights movement hadn't even started. We were still lynching black people. I believe, like, it was even, like, bef- like it was 
before the separation or they had full separation. Or yeah, something. segregation was was upon us. Yeah, seg- well, yes. I don't know if they were, is it that people were living or was it that like, here's your water fountain, here's my water fountain. I don't know what the 50s was uh, oh, like. Oh, it, it definitely was. There was also. Oh, there was full segregation? I believe so. There was also like no Jewish people allowed in certain places as right. well. Yeah, so the 50s was really racist, was really uh, anti-feminist, uh, oppressive. Yeah, people look at that that era through rose-colored Buddy Holly glasses and that's it. Exactly. And so generally speaking, I hate the 50s, too. (laughs) Like, I hate war. But here's another movie where it was the guise of the 50s, but it showed those cracks. Like, the whole point of this movie was to To show the flaws, The show the flaws of the repression and to say, don't go that way again. Don't look at that time with rose colored glasses. And it really hit me. And yet it was still lighthearted. It was a comedy, but it had that message. I think with the, the caliber of F's that we have in the world, that is a ballsy move. So I yeah. applaud you. Like a few good men. I've never seen it. Ever? Yeah. Well, okay, I think I saw it. It's not a war kid. movie, it's a courtroom movie. I, I also didn't know that. I mean, I knew that line from the courtroom. But yeah, I think I saw it when my parents were watching it when I was a kid. I don't know. I didn't. I don't. Okay, so a few good men. I'm gonna just tell you a couple things that might tell make me, you tell want me some to see things. it. So it's Rob Reiner, who did. Oh, I love Rob Reiner. Who did The Princess Bride? Who did When Harry Met Sally? I prefer him for that <laughs> who one. Who did Stand by Me? Which man for you? Yeah. He did Misery. Yay! And he did A Few Good Men. Get the writer on board, Aaron Sorkin. No, Aaron yep. Sorkin. Okay, so you're you're on board a little bit more now. I'm on board. Right? Uh, you have Tom Hanks, Demi Moore. Tom Hanks is in this? Oh, sorry, not Tom Hanks. God, Tom Cruise. Oh, Tom Cruise. Okay, Demi I Demi so. Moore. You've got uh, Jack Nicholson. You've got Jack Kevin... Nicholson is in this? Yep. Whoa. He's the guy. He's the you can't handle the truth. Oh, God, it's so good. It's based on a play that Sorkin wrote. And then it became this film that nominated for for Oscars. Uh, I know you like the filmmaker, and I know you like the writer. So I I, I think I gotta you got to watch it. I think I got to see it. And I think you're really going to get a kick out of the writing. I think you're going to love the characters. Tom Cruise puts in a performance that he does not get credit for. Everybody remembers Nicholson for You Need Me on That Wall, that part. But... Tom Cruise is this guy who's skating through his law career in the military. And then he comes up to this trial and it's like sink or swim, pal. And it's a great performance. Oh, I like, I want to say more things, but you haven't seen it and I don't want to ruin it. So watch it. I'm going to watch this. So we've talked, I've talked about three. How many of you talked about three? Probably two. two. My third is forgetting Sarah Marshall. I forgot Forgetting Sarah Marshall. (laughs) But it's okay because I remembered. Uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall is so lovely. I love this movie. I I don't rewatch movies. I cannot stop rewatching this movie. It's so good. It's so rewatchable. It's so quotable. You sound like you're from London. (laughs) Come on. The weather outside is weather. (laughs) Yeah. I think that... People don't give enough credit to this movie, and I think that people don't give enough credit to Jason Siegel and the brilliance that is his mind. He's this really weird mix of childlike innocence and, like, dirty pervert. And then you get, like, 
Paul Rudd's a great character in the film, but Russell Brandt. It, it launched Russell so Brandt. so funny. This movie, in he this got movie. so many bad movies that he starred in because of how good he was in this movie. Totally. I Like, there's no movie that is as good in his whole run as Forgetting Sarah Marshall playing this character. Oh, my God. This movie is amazing. Forgetting Sarah Marshall. I love you so much. So good. It's so good. It's endlessly funny. And, uh, yeah, I just love this movie. Gave us a Dracula musical. Okay, what's next for you? Thank you for keeping us on track. Let's talk about Fargo. Right. Everybody loves Fargo so much. Fargo is my favorite of the Coen brothers. Uh, a lot of people, really, they go to No Country for Old Men. Um, I am. You know what I go to? No. A Serious Man, which nobody goes yeah, to Yeah, nobody goes to A Serious Man. I love that movie. I freaking love it. Fargo, I don't get. You don't get Fargo. I don't get it. It's just like a mystery. That's it. I know, but it's like not one I'm that interested in following up oh, on. Oh, I just can't get enough of following along these people. Frances McDormand's character with the twang and the is actually brilliant because she's not stupid. There's a great part in that film where he goes, "Oh, I guess, uh, I guess it was run off the road." I don't know if I'd agree with your police work there, Norm. <laughs> like it's just, oh my god! Like it's just these little one-liners of these people actually really thinking. First of all, all the crooks think they'll get away, and they, they kind of should. But she's like, "No, I'm gonna go check that out. No, I'm gonna go do that too." And and maybe it's just because I've I've heard so many stories about bad police work, but her just regular police work catches these guys. Yeah, and I love it. Like I love it. You think he hired somebody to do this? I, anyway, I love Fargo. I just want to talk about you it. You make me really want to see it again. I've and I've watched it again num- a number of times. I've only seen it once, and I remember thinking, what is all the hubbub about? <laughs> right. Like, that was my first thought, and I've only seen it the one time, but my immediate reaction was, sure, that was a good movie, I don't really understand everything that goes along with this movie. Does it really live up to that? I remember the first time I saw it, I was in high school, I think, when I saw it. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, they're quirky. And then I watched it in college again because a buddy of mine insisted that I watch it. And I was like, oh, there's a lot more going on. He's like, yeah, like there's this whole uh, power struggle between William H. Macy and his father-in-law. That that happens that ends up getting the father-in-law um, into some deep trouble. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's just more happening than funny voices the first time I heard it, I guess. Right. Yeah. I mean, a friend of mine, and this is probably also why I have this, like, oh, this was it. A friend of mine, I think he's very proud. He wrote this paper in university, and he got 100% on the paper. And the paper argued that Fargo was the perfect movie of all time wow okay that's that is some hype <laughs> yeah and like i i don't know i watched it and i'm like i perfect movie like is it really perfect i don't know that it lives up to that so i maybe i need to go in again and if try to ignore the hype I, and i also like it when the coen brothers do comedy versus drama they did so, learn after reading didn't they they did which is so much fun 
Okay, so that's what you thought of that one? I thought it was fun. I didn't think it was great. Like I didn't I don't put burn after a reading at like perfect movie stance. Yeah. I think I gave it like a two and a half out of five or something. Oh, so like barely passing. Yeah. It, like it was fun, but I don't need to watch it again. Right. Okay. That's how I felt about it too. Yeah. Yeah. But Fargo, I I think there's enough there and it's meaty enough. And I think you're really gonna get a kick out of the high school friend scene. Um because it, it it's it's so out of place, but it's so it's perfect. See what I mean about the hype? You know, see people, you see. <laughs> okay. But it's like kind of what we talk about when you go and see high school friends. Yeah. And it's a little bit awkward, a little bit, and it's awkward for Francis Victor. It's great. <laughs> uh, my next movie, I'd be shocked if it's not on your list, and in fact, I will be disappointed. It if probably it's not won't on your be list. because I'm down to one. Mine is Forrest Gump. It's right there at number one on my honorable mentions. How is Forrest Gump? Okay, I might have seen Forrest Gump the most out of any movie that I've seen, other than the ones that when you're a kid you just rewatch endlessly. I, I, because if it's on television, I cannot change the channel and I cannot move. I, I watched, must watch the rest. I watched Forrest Gump probably as much as you have. Like yeah, I watch it a lot. A lot. The more I watch it, the more I'm like. I'm not convinced you're the greatest. The more I watch it, the more I go the opposite. It's a really simple story, and there's a lot of happy coincidences throughout it. The effects, the way that they were able to stitch Tom Hanks into that real footage. Yeah, like, th- it's seamless. It's seamless. Like, it when I, when I first saw the movie, I was a kid, and I thought that... I didn't. Well, either I thought that they made up all that footage and those were actors, or he was actually there. Yeah, I, like I don't really know. I guess that's. I thought that they were all actors and it was just made up footage. Right. And um, then they post-processed it. I didn't know that it was effects. I know it's amazing. And it's kind of like even Jurassic Park. Like you watch it now, you're like, I'm still blown away by these effects, even though that was made totally. in what the 90s, 94, and 93 is when it th- came out. I think. Either which way, it was the 90s. I, I'm just remembering because it came out the same year. And now it's list. like 30 years later. Yep. And you're watching it and you're thinking, wow, these are still really awesome effects. It Why can't up. other movies have these kind of effects? And the more the happy coincidences, I think I went through a phase where I was like, oh, too many happy coincidences. But now I find them charming because he's a good man. And regardless, it's like... He deserved everything he got, and he worked hard for everything he got, and it's the perfect story of the American dream. You're not going to get everything, but if you work hard, you sure as heck might accomplish a good amount. He is so delightful. He is so likable, yes. But I will tell you who else is so likable is Steve Martin in Father of the Bride. Father of the Bride. I've probably seen Father of the Bride once a year since it's come out. Wow. I love that film. I don't know why. I like I'm guys, I know you're listening to this at home. No, no, no. Or wherever men you are. Men love this movie. I have seen men so many movie. men be obsessed. My dad is obsessed with this movie. Blake's dad is obsessed with the movie. Blake is obsessed with the movie. I, I'm obsessed They're with the movie. They're family friend. Yeah. Like every man I've ever seen, and you mentioned like Father of the Bride, yep. if they've seen it, every single one, especially if they're fathers. Maybe not always if they're not fathers yet. I'm not a father. Yeah, but you're father minded, I feel like. Yeah, of course. And but if you're if you're not father minded, maybe you don't get it. But if you're a dad, you see this movie and you go, I love this movie. <laughs> 
I get it. Yep. Like, and there are going to be some people listening that are like, oh, my God, Father of the Bride over Forrest Gump, over some of the other ones we mentioned. But I, I don't know why, guys. I just I can't explain it. It's charming as fuck. It is. It is. All right. And I know you took this out of your list because you knew it would be in my list. Probably. Fight Club. Yep. That's exactly why. Yeah. I knew Fight Club would be on your list. Uh, you know, Fincher is awesome. I love Fight Club. I find it hard to go back to. What? Like today, like now, I find it fight scenes hard to watch and and it's anti-establishment so so 90s that I I find it hard to go back to sometimes. I totally rewatch this movie and I think about it a lot. And I think about the fact that I and if it's on television, I can't turn the channel. Like it's one of those movies that I love rewatching. I love seeing those moments cuz you know, the first time you saw it, I don't know about you, but I didn't know, I kind of had a suspicion, but I didn't know that that was the switch. Like, I didn't 100% realize. Oh, no, I didn't know. I mean, I saw it in theaters, and I was like, are you kidding? And, like, we walked out, and I was like, that was great. And then I turned to my buddy, I'm like, by the way, that's going to be, like, one of the biggest cult classics of all time. And he's like, dude, there was seven people in the theater. I'm like, no, trust me. Yeah, with the, that kind of twist. The thing is, as I watched it the first time, I had this uneasiness because I knew there was something wrong with the two of them. Of Totally. Where, like, I, I didn't know that they were the same person, but I also knew that something wasn't quite right. Like, immediately I was like, something's weird about these two. I can't put my finger on it. And then when you find out they were the same person, you're like... Ah, fuck. That totally makes sense. <laughs> and then every time you rewatch the movie from that point on. You're always looking for it. And and you find it every time. All the time. It's like perfect. I know. So it's infinitely rewatchable because every time I watch it, I'm on the hunt for them to trip up. And I haven't found it yet. I also think it has one of the most earworm song endings of any movie, period, when the Pixies come on. All the financial institutions go down, which I also don't know if that would do anything today if that happened today because it's all digital anyway, right? Like, don't we back all this up somewhere? But that's not the point. It's a thought experiment. Of course. It's the what do we do now if we go back to zero. Exactly. And we're trying to get us back because to zero. Because Mr. Robot gets into that too. Did you In season two, that lovely season two, did you I finish have seen it? No, I've started it. Yeah. And I really liked the one episode that I watched. The one episode of season two? I'm waiting. I have to pay attention to it. There's a lot going on in my life. I'm moving. I'm in the middle of moving to the States. Listen, this is a far cry from 2015, Ivana, who would have been like, it's the greatest thing of all time. Don't even touch me. Don't even look at me. I'm watching Mr. Robot. The problem is that I want to rewatch all of season <laughs> one right now and then watch all of season two. And I need to have a weekend to binge all of this. I understand. But we, before binging on Mr. Robot, have to pick our favorite F movie out of all the ones we've talked about. All right. Which one's yours? I'm going with A Few Good Men. Like, I I've got to. I've got to. I'm going to go home probably and watch this movie. Oh, my gosh. What? Okay, so want to know what I'm torn between? And I don't know which one I'm going to pick. Forgetting Sarah Marshall and Fight Club. Yes. Listen, I know you. <laughs> like, you know every thought I have in my brain. <laughs> when it comes to movies, I know where you're at. <laughs> uh, uh, but look at it this way, okay? So Forgetting Sarah Marshall. I'm going with Forgetting Sarah Marshall. I knew it. 
How did you know? I don't know. I just knew it. I just knew it. So this month we have Forgetting Sarah Marshall for Ivana. We've got A Few Good Men for me. Can you please go home and watch A Few Good Men? Because like, yes, maybe not this this weekend, but yes, it's a, it's a just a really good film. I I want to watch it. Aaron Sorkin. Okay. Look at me starting off our break for the first time ever since we had breaks. Nice. Okay. So you need to tell me more about this because I've been out of the loop. And I heard some whispers around that you're like starting up some sort of trivia thing. I really am thinking about starting up a Toronto movie trivia league. Oh, that sounds so fun. I've taken to when I've got like some free time or when I'm waiting on you or anybody I'm waiting on. No, it's always me. I'm not going to. It's always me. I literally take out a notebook that I carry with me and I start writing down movie trivia. Literally in my bag behind me, I have a just a book just filled with trivia filled now. Filled with movie trivia. And I was like, what am I going to do with this? What if we did it up against the best of the best movie trivia people in Toronto? Whoa. I, I immediately looked it up to see if there was one because it would be great if I could be in it. So Torontonians, if you have a league that I don't know about, please tell me and I'm going to join. With that said, there is not. From what I've seen online on the interwebs, they have not shown me the way. They've shown me lots of pub trivia nights, but nothing like, this is solely movies, bring your A game, let's go. You should do a pub trivia night and make that a part-time job. And dedicate it to movies. Yeah, like you, this is Jay's Movie Trivia, or Toronto, What I don't know, you're good at names, you'll name it something. Sure. I've also been watching a lot of trivia online to get, like, ideas. Because there's lots of trivia online, apparently. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's the idea. I, my, I mean, it breaks my heart that you would never be able to join the league. No, but I would occasionally be here, I'm sure. It also breaks my heart that I can't join the league if I start this league. Yeah, that's true. You are then running the league. It's also, you know, full-time job, movie club, planning a wedding. You got a lot of things on your plate. Movie Trivia League. (laughs) (laughs) And speaking of movie trivia. Welcome in. It's time for Impossible and Her Possible Trivia. Let's meet our contestants. Impossible and Her Possible Trivia. It has been a while since we've done this, so I'm going to explain it to you guys one more time. Jay and I each tell each other five trivia questions. We each have 45 seconds after the first question is asked to answer those questions. We keep going around and around in a circle until you get all of them right or until your timer runs out. Play along, please. All right. I have five questions for you. Would you like to start? Yeah. Okay. Give them to me. The timer will start after the very first question is read. What animal is the Pittsburgh Pirate mascot? Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) An alligator? What breed of dog is Lassie? Oh, uh, a a collie. What is the name of Google's phone? Pixel. What is the capital of Pennsylvania? Philadelphia. Based on a Yelp poll I just read, what's Pittsburgh's official beer? Uh... The church brew house? (laughs) What animal is the Pittsburgh Pirate mascot? A parrot. What is the capital of Pennsylvania? 
Oh shit, I got that wrong? It's not Pittsburgh. I don't know any other places. Okay. <laughs> I'm horrible Did at you Pittsburgh. see there was a little theme? There was a little bit of a theme there. <laughs> you could have told me because okay. I would have studied. <laughs> so, uh, Pittsburgh uh, pirate mascot, you're right, it was a parrot. Yes. Apparently, its name is Pirate Parrot. Pirate Parrot. Um, the breed of dog of Lassie is a collie. Pixel is Google's fault. The capital of Pennsylvania is Harrisburg. Have I even heard of that <laughs> in my life? <laughs> and based on a Yelp poll I just read, which seems a little mean, but it was a lot of them, Pittsburgh's official beer is Yunling Lager. They are, okay, so Pittsburgh is very beer culture. In fact, you have to come to visit so that we can just take you to all the beer places. I want to. It'll I, be I'm like a full to. weekend of beer. I'm going to. We and should we do... might even get picked up by a driverless Uber. Okay, I'm in. Go and you know what's going to be really cool about that is that we can do a podcast from Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. We'll be like, this is our Pittsburgh episode. Yes, that is very true. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of what we've got. Uh, for. So I, I did. You did okay. Three out of five. Three out of five. Okay. Yeah. All right. So next up is me. And is it a, is your first question, just so I know, is it a multiple choice question? No, they are all, all right. full. I will start it after your first question. What country is the Chihuahua from? Mexico. What is the rarest eye color? Green. How many hydrogen atoms are in a molecule of water? Two. What is the name of Mickey Mouse's dog? Pluto. In what year did Fast and the Furious release? 2001. You got them all. I got five out of five? And five out of five. I was nervous because you said Fast and Furious, and Fast and Furious is the fourth one. Oh. And I'm like, oh, does she mean the first one, or does she mean the other one? I meant the first one. All right. It's <laughs> nice. Two, hydrogen. I thought, it, I was like, oh, shit, maybe it'll be one. No, you, I saw you do it. was one or two. I saw you do it in your head, H2O. I was like, H2, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I win. I'm amazing. You're amazing. Five out of five. This is Top Drawer TV. This week, we watch Viceland's What Would Diplo Do? Featuring creator, writer, and star James Vanderbeek from Duck Creek. Right. So before we get to the rundown, we're warning you there will be spoilers, so you might skip ahead to the next segment if you're like Jay and hate spoilers, or you might keep listening if you're like me. Because it is only the pilot. Yeah, it's only one episode. It's only one episode. Uh, so let's talk about this. This whole thing kicks off at a crazy party where Diplo, an actual real-life DJ, played by James Vanderbeek, sneaks off to a corner for some meditation. I love it. The meditation kicks off the whole premise and the title of the show, you know, as Diplo considers how many followers Jesus versus Gandhi might have. But Jesus was so global, though. Back in the real world, we meet Diplo's assistant slash coordinator, Karen, and her 12-year-old nephew. Basically, she gets shit done for Diplo, and her nephew is just there. Meanwhile, Diplo's in the studio critiquing Calvin Harris's latest single. According to him and his team, it sounds like the 90s, but not in a good way. And analytics suggest it'll hit huge in Australia. So yeah, it's that kind of song. And this all leads to a social media war, Diplo versus Calvin Harris. 
Get ready for some next-level shade. Oh, and we learned that Diplo has agreed to meet and hang out with a sick kid as part of a Make-A-Wish Foundation-type scenario. No surprise, he ends up crossing paths with Karen's nephew, assumes that he is a Make-A-Wish kid. These two hit it off big time. They rent out a gaming venue that features VR. There's a bouncy funhouse with trampolines. But where's Karen been all this time? Oh, yeah. So she's getting shit done with the pyrotechnics team for the concert later that night. Oh, and BTW, Calvin Harris' Twitter war is heating up. Speaking of which, I'm pretty sure that Diplo is kind of crazy because he speaks to an invisible dude who says that it's his job to run Diplo's socials. And he's fighting ninjas in his mind when shit goes off the rails. So now it's nighttime and Diplo's got a show. He takes Karen's nephew to the adult-only rager backstage. And that's when Karen catches him, reams into him, and reveals he's been hanging out with her nephew all day. Not the make-a-wish kid. And that's the exact moment where Diplo realizes that he's a role model for this child. And maybe he's not been the best one. Deep. There is some legendary concert footage, and in the end, Diplo faces off with Calvin IRL. That means in real life. (laughs) After the concert, behind a trailer. It's awkward AF. As fuck. Until it's not. (laughs) They bro out, you know, like as two shamanic healers offering glimpses of enlightenment through music do. And don't worry, the Make-A-Wish kid does get to meet Diplo and all is right in the world, even though he thinks Calvin Harris is awesome. (laughs) Oh, okay, so there's a lot to talk about here. Did you like it? I mean, I'm going to be as bold, even before the fall television comes out, to say that Diplo is firmly in the top five of my year of 2017. There's no way it'll be below that. Currently... I don't know whether it's going to be if it's sitting at one, two, or three. I got to watch more episodes. I, I mean, it was good. Just good? It was just good. I I'm mean, not going to give it the halo praise you just gave it. I don't know what to say. This television show spoke to me on levels I can't even. I've seen it three times. I don't even repeat shit. You saw shit. it three times? I don't repeat watching things and I've seen this pilot episode three times. I think about the show daily. Oh my god. No, no, no. I mean this kind of went in my head and then out my head. Um, <laughs> and like I laughed. Actually I laughed out loud a couple of times in the show. I thought the guy who played Calvin Harris at the end, because here's the thing. You think these are the actual people. I was like shit man, Calvin Harris can act. But no, no, no. Everybody who is a celebrity in this show is an actor playing the actual real-life celebrity. Totally. Which is ballsy as shit. Yeah. And also that means that you get really great acting performances. Because that last scene was excellent. Yeah. Like, we put that line into our little spiel we just went through. The whole shamanic brothers of whatever. Right. I I forgot about that shamanic, but I mean, you've watched it three times, so you would remember word for word these things. Like, it was good. I laughed. I'm going on the next episode for sure. Like, it's on Thursday nights. Viceland. I'm going to do my job here and tell you, go watch this. (laughs) Uh, Did you know that Jay works for promoting Viceland, among other things. I, I do work for promoting Viceland, but that's not why we chose this show. <laughs> we both love the Vanderbeek. It's the Vanderbeek. <laughs> Man, that mustache. I just want to oh say... Oh, my God. Here, See, guys, now, all of a sudden, every man with a mustache is heaven to Ivana. 
First of all, I've like always loved mustaches and beards. I have a hate on for goatees. I hate goatees. So I, I would have to say this is sort of like a beard goatee because he's got a very short beard going on, but then he's got more mustache. It's more like a mustache plus he's been lazy about shaving. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's going on. And, and, and you dig it. Like, yeah, because the mustache because is so the prominent. Mustache. That mustache is just sitting there on top of that lip. I, okay. First, and is Vanderbeek, like, has he become hot? Well, with the mustache. So the mustache makes him hot. Because I think we can all agree nobody really was like, I want to bang Dawson. I think that he was hired to be a total heartthrob. Well, he offsetted Joshua Jackson's, like, no, well, Joshua Jackson more, more sexy, happened thing. to be way more attractive. Right. But I think the intention when they were cast is that the girls should fall in love with the Vanderbilt. Totally. That's why. And then, and then in reality, everyone was like, nuh-uh. Well, I mean, the same thing happened on Riverdale, right? Like, everybody was like, oh, man, she should be with Archie. And then when she got with Jughead, we're like, nah, Jughead's the shit. Yeah, Jughead is the sexy one in that show. So then I watched this episode, and then I thought, wow, and this is based on a real guy. Then I immediately YouTubed a real Diplo interview. James Vanderbeek deserves some sort of award for this performance. Like, it's it's basically it's, like the bro culture. Yeah, like, it's slightly... Mm, I wouldn't say the bro culture, because it's a different... The bro culture is like Wall Street dudes. Being like, bro, bro, bro. This Are like, Wall Street guys like bro, bro, bro? Oh, yeah. Oh. Uh, you probably talk to more men than I do. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's just, let's just put it out there. Like... Wall Street guys aren't coming up to me being like, bro, bro, bro. Like, it, <laughs> it doesn't happen that way. And when they do, I kind of laugh and walk away. Right. I think this is a different kind of bro-ish thing. He's kind of a douchebag with a heart of gold. Like, he's trying to be street. He's you know, trying to be he's street. He's street streets zen. ahead. Yeah, he's like street zen. That's, like, the kind of dude he is. That's right. But he really wants to make an impact in the world. Like, he wants to be... A prophet or something. He wants to be Jesus. My favorite line is, well, you know you're not Jesus, right? And he's like, can't know till I die. Like, literally <laughs> his response is, you can't know till I'm dead. Like That's right. So Dunkirk next week. Dude. Where he's like, maybe I am the prophet and people just don't know. Which is why that whole line that Calvin Harris says at the end like goes full circle for him. Of course. There's a lot in this show I'm... Upset that it's only five episodes, and I hope that they make a second season. I know it's very up in the air. Next week, we're going to do it, guys. We're going to watch Dunkirk. If you haven't seen it yet, I recommend seeing it in the 70mm IMAX. Yvonne, I think you saw it in like, I a saw regular it like a screen. regular screen. Regardless, we're going to tackle this next week. So make sure to go check it out. Uh, we will be, we're a little late to the party, but. But it's good. It gives, it means that you likely have seen this movie by now. That's right. So you don't have to skip over that segment. That's right. So Dunkirk next week. Hey, shut up. It's trailer trash. We are watching Darren Aronofsky's newest trailer for his like psychological horror thriller thing, Mother. Is that what it's going to be? Yeah, it's totally a psychological horror thriller thing. That's like the name of the genre with thing as part of it too. So we watched this trailer, which you can find if you haven't watched it. In you can notes. find it in the show notes. It does not look like the kind of movie that I want to watch. Really? Yeah, I mean, I got like one great trailer. Great trailer. Like it gives you nothing. 
you don't know what any, well, I don't know. To me, this is totally Rosemary's baby. But I think they're after him to like make him a saint or something versus, I think she's a nuisance in the house, not like she's the one. Okay, yeah, maybe she's the nuisance, but it's still some sort of satanic There's something. some sort of cult. Or or satanic thing. We don't know if it's Satan. No, yeah, we don't know anything. It's just some creepy-ass people coming to this beautiful place. And Michelle Pfeiffer is, like, haunting in it. She's always so creepy sometimes. <laughs> she's always so creepy sometimes. That's right. Mark Great that statement. down. That is my statement of the night. <laughs> you can live by that. Michelle Pfeiffer will always be creepy sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> Those times that she's creepy, she's always creepy. Those other times that she's not creepy, then she's not creepy. Well, I'm just thinking, like, even in Batman Returns, she has some creepy factor to her. She didn't have any creepy factor in uh, the Say Hello to My Little Friend movie. In Scarface? Yeah. Well, she had her, like, face in cocaine. It wasn't creepy, though. It's pretty gross. But not creepy. But not creepy. See, this is the sometimes where <laughs> that comes in. Um, I'll probably see it because it's Aronofsky. I'm 100% Actually, gonna see it. That's because not it's true. Aronofsky. That's not true. Did you see Noah? Oh my gosh, you're right. I had no interest in Noah. Yeah. So I don't know if I'll see it in theaters because I feel like this is gonna be, I don't know. I think the last great Aronofsky movie was Black Swan. I saw it like back to back nights. I don't think this is gonna be like Black Swan. This is not like Black Swan. He's playing with a new genre. I don't know if you've noticed this, but Aronofsky likes to like try different genres. He doesn't make the same genre twice. I haven't seen it anymore. Let's see here. He did Requiem, which is a drug. basically a drug horror film. I would say just a drug, like a, a a morality drug tale, which is its own type of movie. Sure. The Fountains of Sci-Fi time travel film that's correct then we've got and romance ish ish <laughs> but like real romance he that what he sure. really did want to say this is what love is we got black swan which i would say is psychological thriller, thriller. totally noah biblical i, I didn't, didn't see, see it. it i'm sure it's <laughs> pretty weird and and then this, which looks pretty psychological horror thriller. This one looks a lot thing. more horror than yep. Black Swan. I think this is the first time he's made. And then Pie, you have, don't forget Pie, Can't which forget was pie. art house, indie, indie. Like so, he's never really made the same genre, but he always has his specific Aronofsky stamp. Also, The Wrestler, which was just oh full drama. man, how did I forget the Wrestler? That's straight drama. Straight drama and. And oh, heart wrenchingly, it's so good. So I think this is the he's going full horror. This is the Aronofsky take on horror, and I think that's what he does. Is he does all these different genre explorations, and he does this is my Darren Aronofsky take on this genre. Did he write Noah? Because he wrote he wrote this. Maybe. He wrote Black Swan. He wrote Pie. Yeah, he wrote Noah. Boom. Um. Okay, so in the trailer we have J-Law. We have Javier Bardem being like another much too old to be with this sexy young lady. It's like father-daughter level. <laughs> <laughs> um, and 
and yeah, so we we've got that going on, which is always like kind of creepy on itself. And it looks like Jennifer Lawrence has kind of like made up her dream house in the country somewhere. And then all of a sudden, Ed Harris shows up and then Michelle Pfeiffer shows up. And then what I I, I guess what I gather from the trailer is like more of these people show up. And Jay Lawrence is, um, you know, I think I've called her three different things now. Doesn't matter. She goes by all the names. She starts going into that, like, I should investigate. These people are in my house. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of getting creepy. And some bad shit goes down, I think, because it's very, very sporadic. We don't really know what's happening. We know there's going to be a lot of them. We know that they're Javier Bardem at some point is kind of on their side, I think. Mm-hmm. And then the house goes creepy for a minute which will probably be like some weird dream sequence and then that's it no i think he's going full like this is happening in reality i think it's gonna be very Rosemary's you think the baby. you think the house is just gonna like turn to all of a sudden it's gonna just change i think it'll be a mix of is she having visions yes um not dreams but visions and also so is it real or is it psychosis mixed with it actually is real and i think he's going there okay so you're gonna see this a hundred percent um i also my other thing is i don't like jennifer Lawrence, so like that's that's a big detractor for me uh because i'm not a fan but i'm definitely going to see if it gets better than noah reviews and then maybe i'll join you in pittsburgh watching this movie nice and that's our show Thanks for listening, and be sure to tune in again next week. If you'd like to help us support the show, we'd appreciate it. All you have to do is hop into iTunes or anywhere you can leave a review. Give us one of those quick ratings. Tell us we're amazing. We also want to hear directly from you, and it's super easy to get a hold of us. You can reach us on our website, morethemovies.net. Email us at hello at morethemovies.net. Facebook us slash more than movies podcast or you can always catch us on twitter i'm at jester j i'm at it savannah our intro song comes to us from bensound.com we encourage you to check out the show notes you can find all the information about the music we got some talented voice actors we got sound effects in there thanks again for spending time with us we'll be back again next monday with an all new episode and until next time friends do more and watch more (laughs) 